Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This episode is brought to you by my course, Rest Assured. If you've been struggling with falling asleep, or staying asleep, or just not waking up feeling well-rested, you've come to the right place. Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, or CBTI, is the gold standard intervention in the management of insomnia. Rest Assured is a digital course that walks you through CBTI, step-by-step, with everything you need to succeed. Each of the six weekly modules guides you through some important background information for the different techniques, explores the evidence-based techniques in detail, provides multiple examples of exercises so you can find the one that works for you, and reviews the work you've completed since the last module. And rest assured, it's just not another DIY left to your own devices, but rather, you get direct access to me, a board-certified sleep physician in twice-monthly office hours, where you can ask me face-to-face any questions you may have about the course material. So check out www.wellrestedmd.com slash RA to learn more. That's wellrestedmd.com slash RA. Or just head to the homepage and click on courses to learn more. Enjoy the episode. Hey there, friends and neighbors. You're listening to the Well Rested Podcast, episode number 39, Consumer Sleep Trackers. I'm your host, Dr. Joshua Lennon. Consumer sleep trackers are all the rage these days, from Fitbit to Aura Rings to tons in between. So what are these devices, and what do they actually tell us? In today's episode, I'll explore the ever-expanding landscape of non-medical, consumer-grade sleep-tracking technologies. Last week in episode 38, I introduced the various medical-grade sleep studies. The polysomnogram, or PSG, is the gold standard assessment. But the best that we have is certainly not perfect. The truest sleep measurement may require direct assessment of neurochemistry, neuroelectrical activity, and how these microscopic processes affect other body functions. The best indirect measurement we have is the combination of a multitude of sensors, primarily relying on surface electrical activity produced by the brain, the movements of the eyeballs, and the amount of resting tension in our muscles. Each sensor alone can tell you something, but it's the combination of all of them that is the most reliable. But if you want to get a good sense of sleep quality and quantity on a nightly basis, Looking like a walking science experiment with all those sensors attached is certainly not the most practical and certainly not the most affordable method for doing so. The sleep study medical devices known as actigraphs or actigraphy watches are the closest thing to the first-generation consumer sleep trackers or CSTs. Actigraphy, as you may recall, records motion, sometimes in combination with light exposure and some with a skin conductance sensor to detect if the watch is worn or not. Early consumer sleep trackers used the same technology, movement trackers, often in the form of microelectromechanical accelerometers, using three axes of movement, and similar to actigraphs, using algorithms to associate movement with either wake or sleep, or sometimes even trying to differentiate, unsuccessfully of course, the different stages of sleep. I myself had one of these devices, an early generation Fitbit. I was entirely unimpressed with the sleep tracking features and even went as far as simultaneously wearing an actigraphy watch and the Fitbit at the same time, just to amuse myself. And no surprise, the consumer-grade technology was considerably different from the medical-grade, validated and FDA-cleared technology in the actigraphy watch. More often now, however, there are additional sensors on these devices. In addition to motion sensing, many newer next-gen consumer sleep tracking devices now also include something called photoplethysmography, or PPG. These are the glass plates with blinking lights you'll see in the bottom of the Amazon Halo, Fitbit Sense, or Versa, and the newest Apple Watch, and even ring devices like the Aura or the WellU rings. This is also the same technology utilized in a couple of validated FDA-cleared home sleep apnea tests. The devices essentially shine a light through the skin, and your blood reflects the light back to the sensor. 
So the PPG sensor is able to track fluctuations in blood volume based on reflectivity. When your heart squeezes and sends a surge of blood pulsing through your arteries, the arteries expand to accommodate the larger incoming volume of blood, then contract back down to size when there is not a tidal wave of blood being pushed through by the active squeezing of your heart. These vessel size changes at the wrist, for instance, correspond to systole and diastole. So when your blood pressure is being checked and you get those two numbers, 120 over 80, for instance, the top number, systole, is the pressure of the volume in your artery when it's expanded, and the bottom number, diastole, is the pressure in the vessel when the volume contracts back down. By tracking the peaks and troughs of volume changes, you can calculate heart rate. You can also calculate metrics like heart rate variability, the timing in between pulses and how those fluctuate over time. And because there are changes in heart rate and heart rate variability in different states of rest and activity, by measuring photoplethysmography, one can see one of the correlates of sleep. Some of these trackers are also measuring skin temperature and conductance, which too demonstrates some change between sleep and wake. There are other wearables that are placed not on the wrist or finger, but around the head. These headbands may also include a suite of sensors, including dry electroencephalogram, accelerometers, and even photoplethysmography. These devices are usually paired with some gimmick to get you to sleep. Many are paired with relaxing music that may adjust based on the data from the sensors or guided meditations, and some will even try to augment your sleep by playing tones through the headphones, a concept we'll explore more deeply in another episode. So it seems, at least, that some of these devices may be creeping closer to what we get with medical-grade devices, and that's significantly lower cost comparatively. Some even include analogous sensors to medical-grade devices, including plethysmography and EEG. There's also another category of consumer sleep trackers collectively known as nearables, as opposed to wearables, since rather than being worn on your person like a watch or ring or headband, they are non-contact and placed near you while you sleep. There are a couple devices that use ultra-low-power radio frequency wave measurement. These devices sit on your bedside table and are pointed at you, and similar to how submarines see in the deep ocean with sonar pings, or bats see their surroundings with ultrasound, and air traffic controllers see the skies with radar, these devices pulse out waves of radio frequency light, which then bounce off objects like your body, and are received back by the sensor. When there is movement, like traffic-aware cruise control on newer cars, the speed at which the radio wave is bounced back to the sensor changes. Specifically, when you are exhaling and your rib cage contracts in, it is moving away from the radio wave source and will bounce back relatively delayed. Then when you inhale and your rib cage expands, it is moving toward the radio wave source and will bounce back relatively quicker. Like the way the sound of a train changes as you head towards it versus away from it, known as the Doppler effect. By tracking these slight body movements mostly due to breathing, software can then analyze these data to correlate breathing fluctuations with sleep or wake in the same manner that photoplethysmography does for heart rate changes. Another kind of sensor measures the same kinds of movement, but as a strip that sits under your mattress. These devices track ballistocardiographs, measuring the fine body movement generated from the pulse or from breathing. If you've ever been laying on just one side of your head or covering your ear with your hand while laying on it, you may have not only heard your own heartbeat more readily, but possibly even felt the slight movement of your head bouncing up and down on your hand with every heartbeat. These are not dramatic movements, but the devices are sensitive enough to pick up these minuscule movements and again using proprietary algorithms come up with some correlation with sleep. So on the market today are a wide range of consumer-grade devices that are sold with the promise of tracking your sleep. But do they actually work? <laughs> 
The answer depends on what you really mean by work and what you actually compare it to. There are a number of peer-reviewed validation studies looking at the veracity of these consumer wearable results. But these devices are really black boxes. Proprietary technologies and patent concerns prevent access to any raw data from the devices, so no apples-to-apples comparison can be made. Specifically, if a device captures only motion data, there's no way to compare raw data from gold standard actigraphy to raw accelerometer data from a CST device to evaluate whether the data collected is itself accurate before any processing takes place. Same with measures like heart rate, heart rate variability from the newest generation devices, no unprocessed data is accessible to researchers. So the publications are really doing second step validation, processed and derived products of these consumer devices to the gold standards. While there are many comparisons to make, the three most common things looked at are called sensitivity, specificity, and accuracy. In these studies, sensitivity refers to the accuracy of the consumer devices correctly identifying sleep, meaning of all the true sleep that a subject experienced, what proportion of sleep was identified by the consumer device, with anything short of 100% meaning that true sleep was misclassified as wake, a false negative. Specificity refers to the accuracy of the device to correctly identify wakefulness, meaning of all the wake that a subject experienced, what proportion of wake was identified by the consumer device, and anything short of 100% indicates false positives, falsely identifying wake as sleep. Accuracy refers to the proportion of segments in the study period, typically divided into 30-second or 60-second chunks of time called epochs, the total number of segments correctly identified as sleep and correctly identified as wake, divided by the total number of time segments under consideration. With motion detection only, being highly sensitive is rather easy. If you set the threshold of movement to be quite strict, since there is very little to no movement while one is sleeping, it is very easy to correctly identify moments of little to no movement as sleep. You may miss some moments of sleep with a little more movement, but false negatives are relatively few. With lots of movement, it's a safe assumption that one is awake. So true negatives, negative sleep being a positive wake, true negatives are easy to spot. The problem lies in restful wake. It is easy to have little or no movement when you are awake, such as laying in bed waiting to fall back asleep or sitting around resting quietly. But if the movement hasn't exceeded whatever threshold the consumer device has set, it will falsely score sleep when one is actually awake. This leads to a very high false positive the device thinking you are asleep when you are truly awake. So the proportion of correctly identified wake time divided by the true total wake time is often very low. These motion-only devices or first-gen consumer sleep trackers have a good sensitivity. They easily identify true sleep by lack of movement, but pretty low specificity. They're not very good at identifying wake. Next-gen devices with a multi-sensor approach, like the newer Fitbits and the Aura Ring, these incorporate movement and photoplethysmography. They get a little bit better, but still face a low specificity problem. Studies looking at individual consumer sleep trackers or reviews of several studies generally show sensitivity around 90%, meaning that only about 10% of the time that a subject was actually sleeping, the CST incorrectly identified wake. But terrible specificity of around 20 to 30%, meaning that 70 to 80% of the time that a subject was awake, the CST incorrectly identified them as asleep. As we get into some of the newer multi-sensory devices incorporating data from photoplethysmography, sensitivity is still around 90 to 95%, meaning that there's very little true sleep that's actually missed by the device, 
but specificities remain low, around 40 to 60%, meaning still about half of the time that one is awake, the device incorrectly thinks the subject is asleep. So what about accuracy? Again, with accuracy meaning the number of correctly identified segments, true sleep plus true wake, divided by the total number of segments. Because identifying sleep is a lot easier than identifying wake, the accuracy will depend entirely on how well the subject slept, on their sleep efficiency, which if you recall is the total sleep time divided by the total time in bed. Specifically, in great sleepers, the accuracy will be high, but in poor sleepers, the accuracy is quite low. For example, if an excellent sleeper has a sleep efficiency of around 95%, and they use a multi-sensor consumer sleep tracker with a sensitivity of 95%, and a specificity of 50%, the accuracy is a little over at 92%. High sleep efficiency, high accuracy. But a poor sleeper, with a sleep efficiency of only 60%, using the same multi-sensor consumer sleep tracker with a sensitivity of 95% and specificity of 50%, that accuracy drops down to 77%. Low sleep efficiency, low accuracy. So in fact, when validation studies are done in children or adolescents or the elderly, we see the accuracies all over the place, but generally much lower than in healthy young adults. And many of these trackers claim to tell you sleep stages, often calling them light, combining N1 and N2 sleep, deep for N3 sleep, and REM for rapid eye movement sleep. Validation studies have generally only been done in healthy young adults with normal sleep and normal proportions of sleep, with one exception. Even so, the ability for the multi-sensor devices to correctly identify these individual kinds of sleep are limited. On average, they correctly identify N1 and N2 as light sleep only about 69% of the time. They correctly identify N3 sleep as deep sleep only about 50% of the time. And they correctly identify REM sleep only about 56% of the time. One of the issues with the validation studies is that most of them use a strict methodology including time synchronization and strict lights off and lights on start and stop times. But the few studies that looked at the ability of the consumer devices to accurately assess the onset of sleep and the termination of sleep without some pre-specified time in the sleep lab, it is even more disappointing. Meaning, not just can the device reasonably detect when you are or are not asleep at night, but is it able to detect when that sleep period actually starts? And the answer is generally no they generally vary a lot with a standard deviation of about 38 minutes from the true sleep onset. So if you want to know if the device can actually tell you when you fell asleep, these trackers won't help you much. Even more disappointing are non-nocturnal sleep periods. Most devices are incapable of detecting any sleep that is less than one hour or even less than three hours of sleep. Other studies note complete failure of the device to record any data at all for 10% to as many as 37% of nights with the device. So clearly there are some problems with the technology. Generally, if you are sleeping great and have no complaints and feel great when you wake up and feel great all day long with no problem falling asleep, these trackers won't give you any shocking results. You will generally get confirmation of what you already know with an accuracy of 90 plus percent. However, if your sleep is not satisfying, not having an easy time falling asleep or staying asleep, not feeling great when you wake up or feel tired through the day, I would not trust results from a consumer sleep tracker with a grain of salt. The more disturbed the sleep, the less likely the findings of the consumer trackers are to be accurate. And because we are unconscious during sleep, and the signs and symptoms of disturbed sleep are not always extremely obvious, we often don't know when sleep is disturbed, lowering even further the pre-test probability 
that you'll get an accurate result from a consumer sleep tracker. So accuracy is clearly a problem. And part of that is that you have to remember that despite the name, these devices are not tracking your sleep. They're not measuring your sleep. They are tracking physiological data in the form of gross movement of the arm, extremely fine movement that may or may not be related to ballistic pulse or respirations, estimations of blood volume, physiologic data that has some correlation with sleep. But not sleep itself. We've also seen increasing issues with accuracy of these sensors with different skin tones. There have been published data for a while now on medical-grade finger pulse oximeters and their varying accuracy based on skin tone, which is minimal, but real. But the degree to which these consumer-grade wrist-based sensors lose sensitivity seems to be far greater. Because these sensors are beaming light and detecting the reflected light waves from the blood, if there is something potentially blocking those light waves, the sensor is not as accurate. So darker skin tones with more melanin and tattoos with darker ink will absorb more of the broadcast light waves, so there are fewer waves reflected back to the sensor, making these photoplethysmography devices less able to detect a signal and less able to calculate the correlation with sleep and wake. Another problem which cannot yet be answered is the long-term viability of these sensors. How long do they last until they degrade and fall apart? Will you need to shell out for a new device after X number of months? And is it safe to be cooking your wrist under a lamp continuously for days and weeks and months on end? That remains to be seen. One of the biggest problems we see emerging from the use of these devices has been dubbed orthosomnia. Because like any other technology, people can become so concerned to the point of obsession with their data that rather than understanding what their consumer sleep tracker is, what it actually measures, what those measurements mean, how accurate or correct those assessments are, instead, they eat it up like manna from the gods. And because it comes from Apple or Fitbit, or because it's aesthetically pleasing design, any information it shares with you, about you, must automatically be infallible. And any report showing that one's sleep has deviated from the perfect must mean that you have to completely change your life or buy their upgrade or companion product. Clearly, I care more than most about sleep, health, and wellness, and wished more people care just a little bit more about a third of the human lifespan. But if you'd never had an issue with your sleep until your watch told you so, try to take that in context. Because with a flip of the coin ability to determine if you're even awake or asleep at any given point in the night, and with a flip of the coin ability to determine if you're in deep sleep or not, and a flip of the coin ability to determine if you're in REM sleep or not, chances are your sleep is not as bad or as good as your sleep tracker makes it out to be. So what is the role of these devices? Well, they're out there. Some 60 plus million users of these consumer sleep trackers in 2019 alone and growing. As I alluded to before, I used to have an old Fitbit, but I knew the sleep tracking was laughable. I used it more for activity tracking and a step counter. And currently, I use the Amazon Halo for the same experience. Yes, it has a sleep tracker function, which I'm amused by, but far from sold. Instead, the ability for activity tracking beyond just steps is appealing. And with some heart rate tracking, it is a good way to measure physical activity. Recall from episode 6 on exercise and sleep that there are specific thresholds of activity that increase or decrease mortality risk and a whole host of other diseases. That cutoff is generally 150 minutes of at least moderate activity a week, or 75 minutes of vigorous activity. And moderate and vigorous activity is not defined by the activity itself, but rather sustained heart rate in relation to your maximum heart rate, which is determined by your age. And like a lot of devices, 
It is part of an entire program with countless health and fitness videos and tutorials on diet and yoga and strength training and meditation. So do I check my sleep data from the device? Occasionally. Do I believe it? I 90% believe the timing and 50 to 60% believe the sleep stage breakdown. So to summarize, there are a lot of devices in the consumer market that make all kinds of claims about your sleep and measuring and decoding your sleep using secret proprietary algorithms that they won't share with anyone. And when put to the test, they're not terrible. But they're not that great either. Motion-based sensors have an accuracy in the 80s percent or less. Step up to the next-gen multi-sensor devices that incorporate photoplethysmography to calculate heart rate and heart rate variability, and that accuracy for distinguishing wake versus sleep creeps into the 90s, but only as long as you're a normal sleeper. Any difficulty with sleep, whether you're aware of it or not, and that accuracy plummets. And claims about detecting light versus deep versus REM sleep were about as accurate as a flip of the coin. But these devices could also revolutionize healthcare, because a long-term track record of physiological data, as imperfect as it is, could expand the reach of sleep as a biomarker, sleep as a vital sign, sleep and changes in sleep over time as predictive of disease. We've already seen that happen with the pandemic. The retrospective analysis of multi-sensor sleep tracker devices was able to predict with fair accuracy COVID-19 a couple days before symptom onset began based on changes in heart rate and respiratory rate and skin temperature and sleep. They have a long way to go, but they could be very important in population health and the future of personalized medicine. I've got a little freebie for you, so if you head over to wellrestedmd.com day, you can get a free cheat sheet to a day in the life of the well-rested, including some specific best practices to get that good snooze. That's wellrestedmd.com day. Be sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player to get all the latest episodes, leave a review, and head over to wellrestedmd.com for more information. Thanks for listening.